1: We had Charles Davis on in the three o'clock hour, and it's funny. You know, we talked a lot about Miles Garrett needing another, um, another edge rusher across from Miles. And I just, I don't. I think I might be on the outside. Like I feel like NFL people agree with me. Anytime we've had Charles on, anytime we've had anybody else from the NFL on, when we've when we've asked him what's the Browns' biggest off off um, offseason need, or when we've asked them. Pretty simple things like, hey, where would you like to see them add this offseason? They kind of continue to go back to the defense. And what I will say is I think the Browns are sitting pretty this offseason. They they, uh, restructured Denzel Ward's contract. They're now officially over the cap to start the new league year. I think before the new league year, you're going to see the Nick Chubb deal handled. Uh, That just feels like kind of a soft deadline for that. That's going to open up potentially some more money. We'll see about Amari Cooper and an extension, but like you've got the Deshaun money, you've got all these different options that the Browns have to open up more cap money. And truthfully, this is not what it was last year, where you needed both depth and to try and find it like five or six starters when and you went into the offseason trying to find salary cap. So I think that's I think you're in a really good spot here. But everybody's focused on the wide receiver spot. If you look at the, the offensive side of the ball, pretty much every spot of starters is spoken for. You've got six guys that could start in your offensive line because you've got three starting tackles on your roster as of right now. Every other one of your, your, your guard or center spot is spoken for. Tight end between David Njoku and Jordan Akins, uh, your, your top two spots on the roster there are spoken for. Even though you do need at least one, if not two more receivers, you have four receivers that are NFL-quality receivers. You didn't have that going into last year. Um, running back, Nick Chubb is going to be on the roster, very, very likely to be on the roster. Jerome Ford is his backup. Pierre Strong, by the way, I really like Pierre Strong. So you're three deep at running back. Quarterback, Like you're, you could make a case that your biggest need on offense is actually the backup quarterback. Defensively, I look over there and I'm like, not only can you could you use a third starting defensive lineman, somebody who can generate consistent pressure. All right. So that's one thing. But you start to look across that defense, like uh Devin White, uh the the linebacker from um or Devon White, the, the linebacker from uh Tampa Bay, there's a report out that uh, Tampa Bay's not gonna tag him. That's a middle linebacker. And you're going into this offseason, your signal caller, the last couple of years, Anthony Walker Jr., although he is one of your best leaders, he's getting a little bit older. He has dealt with significant injuries the last couple of years. And you've kind of been year to year with with Anthony Walker Jr. This would be an offseason where it makes a lot of sense, where if you can get a guy like White to be your middle linebacker, you put that guy next to JOK and, and you get, you know, White on a three or four year or two or three year deal, your linebackers could be locked up and you could have a really strong linebacking group, probably your strongest that you've had since going back to Demario Davis, Christian Kirksey, and a couple other guys being your linebackers. So two one six, four, seven, four, double oh, nine two. I think the defense is a uh, is is the bigger priority this offseason. I not when I say that, what I mean is I think you need to find more starters and more high impact starters on the defensive side of the ball. Do you guys see defense as the higher priority? Because I think we've lulled ourselves into, well, they were the number one defense last year. It has not sat right with me, and it continues to not sit right with me. The Browns road struggles with that defense. And, you know, we asked Charles about it. We asked uh, our guest Daniel Jeremiah yesterday about it. We've asked a lot of people about it, and nobody has, like, a working theory. Not even, like, a suggestion of what it could be. To me, what it says is, and maybe I'm thinking too literally, maybe I'm thinking too much like we think in the uh the NBA, to me, it means you're relying on a lot of role players to fill starting reps. Or that you're relying on four, uh, four role players instead of, you know, maybe two starters at key spots. I think I, I do think Anthony Walker Jr.'s health has been kind of an issue because when he hasn't been out there, honestly, Rodney McLeod. The defense of road issues really heightened when Rodney McLeod ended up missing the rest of this season. So I look at it, and I think you've got a starter spot at every level of the defense that you need filled. Because I think next year, because of the uncertainty at quarterback, as much as everyone wants to go ahead and talk about uh, backup quarterback, and yes, it might be the most important position of immediate need on the offense but whether you're going to win with Deshaun or whether you're going to win with a backup quarterback, that defense needs to stay number one. And so this, you're sitting pretty. You don't have, I mean, you had six starting needs last year. You have three. They're all on the defensive side of the ball. I think you need a middle linebacker, and that could include Anthony Walker. They might just decide to bring him back. I i cannot, seems like such a good dude. He seems to be so respected by his teammates. I don't know I can be mad if they brought him back. It still feel like piecemealing that spot, but I'll be honest with you. He's been consistent. And when he's been healthy, he's been a nice player, but you still, you need to address that spot, whether it's Anthony Walker or white or any of the other linebackers, middle linebackers out there. I don't know. You need a true, like, I don't think you're going to sign another Juan Thornhill or another Grant Delpit. But I think you might need another quarterback in the safety room to help bring along what is still four young safeties on that defense. So that's the second spot. And then I don't really even want to think about it like a – if you could get Joey Bosa, guys, that is my – that's my dream. If you could get him – because I think if, if they – if the Chargers cut him, which I, I still can't even fathom a team would do that, but the health issues might warrant it. If you could cut – if they cut Joey Bosa, he's going to go to San Francisco and be with his brother. But if you could get him in a trade, man, I think Joey Bosa crossed from Miles Garrett. I think I think that's the definition of wreck this league. But it does. That's not the only way you can do this. I don't know. You need another defense, uh, another um, space filling defensive tackle. I think if you go defensive tackle, you need a guy that's a little quicker, a guy that's going to consistently get sacks. But like guys. Um, it doesn't matter if it's an edge rusher or a defensive tackle. I just think they need another high-level starting defensive lineman. That, to me, is why the defense really should be the priority this offseason. Mike, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us?
3: In total agreeance with you, man. I think we should double down on defense simply because, man, you got to look at who we got to go through to get a Super Bowl or get or even get a championship. We, You got to be able to stop. Kansas City you got to be able to stop Cincinnati you got to be able to stop Baltimore. And I'm looking to get a, a score a match. I think it's Mike just let offense play football.
1: Mike, you're breaking up a little bit there buddy, but we do appreciate your your uh time there. Now the thing I like that you said talking about beating Kansas City, beating Cincinnati I thought in the second half of the season as Miles kind of was getting that extra attention I think the Browns had to rush that fifth or sixth guy too often, and I think I think the formula. And I'm not trying to repeat the same thing I've said, but it is the it is what I find to be true. The teams with a chance to slow down, contain, or, or just in the end beat Pat Mahomes, it's not just about do you have a franchise quarterback. It is can you get consistent pass rush and disrupt those those opportunities to move outside the pocket? Can you do that with four guys? Because if you can, you'll have a chance. If you have to consistently rush a fifth or sixth guy or do team rushes, rush your linebackers, if you consistently have to do that, he's going to pick you apart over four quarters. So in the regular season, I think you can, you know, if you can do that in the regular season, that's cool. But in the postseason, you want to beat Mahomes, and not just that, you want to you want to beat uh, Burrow. We saw it on the Monday Night Football game two years ago. The Browns consistently, with Jadavian, with Miles Garrett, with your defensive tackles, they consistently got home. They completely picked apart Joe Burrow. There's some other parts of that, too, like what you do post-snap and pre-snap and disguising coverages and all that, and whether you go zero coverage, you know, uh, too high, whatever. A lot of jargon there, but I just think you get that, that strong pass rusher, which, honestly... It's never been easier to find in the NFL. Like, find me an elite wide receiver. There's like eight guys. Find me a guy who is available for one reason or another that is that can be the disruptor that Miles needs across from him. I Not only do I think those guys are available, I think you can get them. I mean, hell, I'll still go back to Chris Jones. Chris Jones is getting a little bit older. He's not likely to be tagged in Kansas City. If you could put Chris Jones next to Miles Garrett, or you could put... Uh, even a guy that is a cut below that, like DJ Reader, who's more of a space eater, but still can generate a lot of pressure. I think you're going to see this team be the number one defense, not just in name, but in reality as well. We head out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Welcome on Aaron Taylor, CBS Sports College football analyst. He's here to tell us about his latest involvement with future fans. This is a game launched by two Columbus entrepreneurs and football fans to create a simple an easy way to engage young boys and girls in the rules of football through stories, helping them make fans for life. So I want to get to that in just a second here, Aaron, but I guess we should start with, hi, welcome to the show, bud.
3: good to be here, Nick. How are you, my man?
1: I'm doing all right. You know, I am, we're in a weird position because I don't have a definitive answer on the Browns quarterback and whether he's going to be a franchise quarterback, but I also am slightly relieved About the quarterback class, because I I think each one of these guys at the top of the draft, Caleb, uh, J.J. McCarthy, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels, each kind of scares me just a little bit. Is that a fair approach to have on this year's draft class?
3: Absolutely, man. There are warts on everybody. So it's a thin class at that position, and there's no for sure things at the top of the heap which I think has a lot of people concerned, even though we're likely to see three quarterbacks taken with the first three picks off the board, even though they may not be the three best players from a grading perspective in this draft. When you look at Caleb Williams, his production and his level of play dropped a little bit this year. He still had a great year, but it wasn't what the 2022 tape was. And what we saw from him this year was trying to do too much, holding the football too long, trying to be too innovative, scrambling and taking big losses and forcing plays you're not going to be able to get away with that in the nfl and if his production is relying upon that when he doesn't have the best of supporting casts, he's going to be in for a long career or certainly an entry into the nfl so he's graded the highest i have him as the highest rated quarterback there were some maturity issues about words that he wrote on his fingers and painting his fingernails and some high profile games but in his last game at night that they lost with with championship ramifications on the line. Watching him sob in his parents' arms was a really good peek into the character of him and that his gas factor, his give-a-blank factor, is super high. So I like that about him. You look at Jaden Daniels, it's his slight build. He's super innovative. He can get outside the pocket. He's deadly accurate when he's on the run, and he can throw on all three levels, which is rare for somebody – at that position, but he's got a slight build, and he put his body in jeopardy at times in the SEC, and he's just not going to be able to get away from that. So, from a decision-making standpoint, when he extends and tries to create with his legs, is something you got to watch. And his deep ball accuracy—sometimes the balls would flutter on him, so that's something you got to watch. And with Drake May, it's decision-making. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's a big, tall, six foot four, two hundred thirty pound. Like he's the dude you want getting off the bus at that position. But without a supporting cast and a bad offensive line, he threw too many dang interceptions. So his decision-making and processing is something that people are looking at because accuracy isn't just about where to throw the football, it's when to throw the football. And that was off for him a little bit this year. So those are some of the things that they're going to be evaluating both in person on the pro days, but also going through the tape and talking to him to see what kind of pedigree he's going to have. Because when you walk in that building, as the quarterback in the NFL, everybody should know it. So they're looking for that sort of character and it factor as well.
1: I'm glad you, you said what you said about Caleb because I'm always leery of talking about maturity with a kid that, that we haven't seen up close because he plays out in L.A. And, you know, it's it's been interesting to see because that, I mean, we've seen guys who struggle with maturity fail in Cleveland. And I'm just like if, if you're an NFL team assessing Caleb – how do you how do you go about saying like hey what was with the fingernails what was with the UCLA post game like what and, and your dad's comments about staying in college another year how do you handle that if you're a team and how do you get i don't want to say closure but but maybe an assurance that that this kid really is the right guy to be the face of your franchise
3: You're always worried about that but I don't think he's a Johnny Manziel I just don't think he's cut from that same cloth but there are some things to be concerned with and Nick, it's interesting, man, like this world of the NIL is a game changer, brother. Like this makes these kids professional athletes at much earlier ages. Caleb Williams was on the forefront of that. He was in the second biggest market in our country in Los Angeles. There's a lot of pressure and notoriety that comes with that, which can explain, in my opinion, some of the, the immature things and the comments and fingernails and words that are on that that pressure cooker can get the guys so to a certain extent I think a guy's character and makeup that allow him to mature quickly and navigate through those things is what it is I'd be looking for I was a much different player in Green Bay at 25 than the 21 year old that walked in the door and was too cool for school there's uh, that's human nature so how quickly can a guy control that is certainly something they're going to be uh, uh, looking to assess, which is why Caleb Williams and all these guys' answers in the interview portion are going to be really interesting as this process develops.
1: Aaron Taylor on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, CBS Sports College football analyst breaking down uh, some of this draft class going to the combine here. And whether it's quarterbacks or out, outside of quarterbacks, who are some of your favorite college players heading into the NFL this year?
3: Well, it's interesting, man. I think when you look at the top of the draft, it's really wide receiver heavy and maybe the the strongest position of the entire draft, particularly early, potentially six first rounders could go. And I think at the top of the list for me is Marvin Harrison Jr. right there at Ohio State. I know there's a lot of Buckeye fans that are your listeners that know exactly what I'm talking about. You need no explanation. This dude is a better version or will be a better version of his father. He has some versatility to play inside or outside. I see him as a true number one, a guy that can big back and body and just dominate and bully defensive backs on that side of the ball. And he's subtle with his ability to change speeds and create opportunities to separate. So having a quarterback that can put the ball to him on stride there won't be 50-50 balls. There'll be 75-25 balls or 80-20 balls. He can take the top-off defenses, and I think he's the the bell of the ball, if you will. And just behind him, if not neck and neck, is Malik Neighbors at a LSU. I think a lot of Jaden Daniels' production was a result of Malik Neighbors being healthy and, and producing for him. So that's going to be another piece of data points that people are going to be looking to evaluate Jaden Daniels and Brock Bowers. I mean, a lot of people... I think are overlooking him and aren't including him in the wide receiver conversation because of guys like Roma Dunze, Washington's great receiver, but Brock Bowers was uncoverable. He's a problem. And in the sec where they've got a ton of dudes, that are going to be first round picks on teams that they played. He ate people's lunches. He's a willing blocker. He's not the most physical blockers, but if you're looking for a guy that can create and mismatches in the slot and is a true wide receiver skills, with a much bigger body, Brock Bowers is as sure of a thing as you can get. Injuries plagued him with a high ankle sprain. We know that he's tough, but how durable is he going to be or be some of the concerns? But everything that I've talked to, I called their Missouri game, talking with the coaches, he's the real deal, and I don't expect him to be on the draft board very long. But those are some of the many reasons why I think this wide receiver class is so dang strong.
1: Aaron, looking to the current state of college football, Ohio State had a pretty nice uh, January there, getting Caleb Downs, getting Will Howard. Um, there's there's a, a whole cast of characters they brought in the transfer portal. They had, I believe, the number two uh, recruiting class from December. As they try to steady the ship, which is weird to say because they were they uh, they were only a two loss team. As, as they try to steady the ship here, are you buying into the Buckeye Super Team approach?
3: Man, I I think it's 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 what the game has become. Like we have full free agency and the, the court ruling down in Tennessee, I think was the final death blow to the NCAA or will prove to be that they can't get involved in the NIL incentives to use it now as recruiting to get guys to go from point A to point B. So yeah, if you're Ohio state good on you for making the moves that you, you did to put yourself in this position. I think a big factor here is the, the three straight losses to Jim Harbaugh, who's now in the NFL So the time is right for this Ohio State team to what they feel is to rightfully take back their their you know rightful place at the top of the the big eighteen conference now I guess it is holy smokes and there's gonna be a lot of new blood there so it's really important moving forward for Ryan Day and the staff to make sure that they think get things right, position themselves so that they can be there at the end and dominate the East like we're so used to them doing. And I think with the change at the helm, as good as Schroen Moore is and was, I think it's Ohio State's conference to lose moving forward. But that job becomes a hell of a lot more difficult because of the new brands that are coming in and the new era of free agency. But to their credit, the Buckeyes are at the front of that line, and I think they're doing an excellent job of positioning themselves.
1: Aaron Taylor on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, CBS Sports College football analyst here. So uh, I'm a Bowling Green guy, so I'm a Maction guy. The MAC has added UMass back. It's weird to say back because they were there for like four years. Now they're back. There are rumors of uh, Western Kentucky potentially joining the MAC as well. And I am a proponent of a group of five super conference and I'm I'm just I'm a big Sunbelt fan as well. Can I get you to throw your support behind a Max Sunbelt Super Conference today right here on the spot?
3: Brother, Nick, I'm all about it, dude. There's so much good football that comes out and how many fun memories we've had with Max and I've called a ton of Sunbelt games. There's some really good football that's played in those conferences. But what we're seeing to your point of UMass coming over everybody is scrambling, trying to stay ahead of the inevitable change that they see coming, which is a break-off of the Blue Bloods and the top-tier programs taking their ball and doing their own thing. There still will be a need for the group of five teams, but to your point, having a super conference where it's the best of the best of those brands and programs becomes a lot more compelling because the quality of the play with what we have now with the 12-team, probably going to be a 14-team and probably expand further once they can figure those things out. So expect a lot more movement. It's not realignment. It's consolidation. So hats off to the MAC for trying to consolidate and strengthen their position. It's going to be hard for them to crack the code. I don't know if we're ever going to see a TCU or a Utah make the jump like we have before. But the lower-tiered programs, the less resource programs like a UMass – are happy as can be that the Mac asked them to come in, and for the Mac, that strengthens their position with another East Coast market in Boston to be able to be more compelling to a television partner like, oh, by the way, CBS Sports, which is my employer. For full disclosure,
1: Aaron, uh, given everything you just said about the state of college football, does uh, does college football need a czar, and is there a name that makes most sense to you if two, three, four, five years down?
2: if your day sounds like We need the report ASAP You deserve Modelo If you've persevered through You deserve this rich golden lager With a crisp but refreshing taste Or if you overcame two
0: more, two more.
2: You deserve this ice cold reward Modelo, the
3: mark of fighter Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port Chicago, Illinois
1: road they actually made it happen
3: man the, the simple answer is yes uh it does need oversight where somebody's making decisions that are in the collective best interest of our sport we've seen too many times where people acted in their own behalf we've seen people stick knives into the livers of their rivals and and proponents and and people that are in their conference and The Pac 12 is the best case in point of that. And it leaves Oregon State and Washington State out in the cold, but everybody's taking their own ball and getting their own guy, and we're losing the fabric of what's built this sport. So, yes, there's a lot of money to be made, but we're starting to see the Super 2 with the Big 10 and the SEC start to extend themselves even more so than the ACC, which is reeling. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see them on the chopping block as the next conference to dissolve because of of what's going on and the the lack of consistency of elite teams that they've experienced as of late. So uh, we do need a czar. Who that is, is hard to say. Greg Sankey seems to be somebody that uh, has his finger to the pulse. Your AD that just left Ohio state would be a name that would come to mind. And I think would do a heck of a job, but you need somebody that's been around the block. That's seen the evolution of this sport is concerned about where it's going and wants to do the right thing by everybody because that rising tide will raise all boats. And I think our sport at some point is going to have to go that way because that also is prudent because you end up making more money taking that model as well. So that's a long-winded answer to, to answer that question. But there's some things that a lot of us are concerned about, and I think a czar answers most of those.
1: Well, I I really enjoy your perspective on that. And as we do have you here uh, in part uh, for for future fans, what can you tell us about this?
3: Well, I'm about anything that promotes the sport of football. So I'm excited to share something that's allowed me to connect with my daughter over this sport, which was never possible before. She is anti-football because football takes daddy away in the fall. So every time I would get her to sit down on the couch and try and watch a game, she would roll her eyes and and walk away. So enter Future Fans, which is an innovative brand that reimagines how kids learn the sports by making it fun and easy. And they do that by embedding the rules and concepts in a storybook-led experience. So I read her a story, we play some games, and she starts to become a fan. So as an example of the creativity, there's a ring toss concept that has four beanbags and four rings. And you get four chances to get a beanbag inside the ring. And if you do, you get to advance to that spot and get four more chances to throw a beanbag into a ring. And that's their brilliant introduction of the concept of having four tries to get a first down. So she doesn't even know she's learning football, but we're spending 20 minutes playing ring toss. And it's now allowing me to connect with her over the sport of football in ways that I never thought possible so I wish they'd create something that could help me keep my mouth shut with my wife because that seems to get me in a lot of trouble and I, I, I haven't found ways to be able to, to do that but in terms of teaching the sport of football and, and creating a fun and easy way that we both enjoyed to learn the sport future fans has knocked it out of the park which is why they've won six toy awards in the uh, since September. When they launched, it was started by a couple Ohio dads. They're from there. They're girl dads. They they're huge Cincinnati Bengals fans, and were struggling to find ways to get their daughters to watch games with them. So they created Future Fans and solved that problem in a big way. So people can buy this on Amazon for fifty nine ninety nine, or go to futurefans.com and use a promotion code Fans to get fifteen percent off and. there's any D-linemen out there, that's nine extra dollars. But if you're looking to connect with your kid or introduce the sport of football in a fun, creative way, check this out. You won't regret it.
1: Well, if they do ever come up with something to help you uh, not put your foot in your mouth with your wife, please send that my way as well. Aaron, love the passion, buddy. Love the expertise. Really appreciate you, man.
3: Thank you, man. Appreciate you too, brother.
1: Aaron Taylor, CBS Sports College football analyst. Man, I love what he had to say about the quarterbacks in this draft. And I just, I think the NFL is drunk on potential. The NFL has always, to some extent, been drunk on potential. But, like, where we've gotten to with, like, I'll be honest with you, the Justin Fields thing does bug me, not because he played at Ohio State, but it's no longer, is player X better than player Y? Or does player X give me a better chance at, at being a franchise quarterback than player Y, right? It, it's no longer that. It's about, did I draft that person? And, which it's always been in the NFL or it's for a very long time. But now, because of the way rookie contracts work, now it is, well, I don't definitively know this guy is going to be worth that contract. And because of how this works, I'm going to go ahead and, and clean the slate on a new five-year contract. And I just think, I think that kind of gets in the way of making the right decision. And it obviously impacted the Browns timeline with Baker. Baker also impacted the Browns timeline with Baker with his general uh, personality and way of going about things Um, And and in an organization that seems to care about things like control and saying the right things, no matter if they're true or not, like... That, with the second that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry got hired, those guys, it, no matter whether Baker's a franchise quarterback, a game manager, or whatever the hell else we're going to call him, um, it, that probably spelled the end of Baker Mayfield, given some of the antics that they probably didn't want to put up with. I thought the antics were pretty funny. I thought the antics were okay. I just think you got to play really well if you're going to be somebody with antics. But getting back to this this thing here, like it impacts these quarterback decisions, but not just that. Like, I mean, I mentioned the Daniel Jones thing where the Giants declined his his fifth-year option. They went into a make-or-break year with him. He had a good year. They won a playoff game. And then because optics, it'd be bad to let that guy hit the open market. They panicked and paid the guy four years and $160 million. That was not smart. And and by the way, they regretted it almost immediately. So, and again, the, the, the alternatives were go trade for somebody like Justin Fields. The alternatives where go find somebody else, sign Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I'm not saying those are incredible alternatives, but just you look at this, I'm not really that convinced Caleb Williams is destined to be that much better than Justin. That doesn't mean he won't, by the way. But man, when you start talking about maturity for a young quarterback is one of your primary concerns with that number one pick, I know he's not Johnny Manziel. He clearly, you saw the the tears at the end of the loss at the end of the season. He clearly cares. But man, there's some things there where, you know, you're going to be putting him, a 21 year old kid is the face of your organization. And oh, yeah, he's a little undersized. Oh, yeah, um, his build is a little slight. Oh, yeah, now you got to worry about maturity concerns. And by the way, that's the, that I do think Caleb is the best player or the best prospect in this draft. I love me some Drake May. Um Drake being just kind of the big prototypical quarterback. 10 years ago, Drake may's the number 1 pick in this draft and not Caleb Williams. But everybody's looking for the next Pat Mahomes. That'd be the other part I don't like about this. Um well, he moves around a lot and does things that are like um oh god, on-schedule is one way of looking. What's the other way? People are now referring to it as uh, more flow-based offense. Kudos to any team trying to figure out which one of these guys. But, like, people are talking about J.J. McCarthy being a top-ten pick. I don't see that. I mean, I, again, if I think what matters most to any of these guys is that you get them into the right situation. Like, a Joe Burrow can go into Cincinnati two years, he's got him winning. Because Joe Burrow has some it factor, the perfect sensibility, the perfect um, blend of, of traits to be a great quarterback. C.J. Stroud. Um, walking into Houston, year one, they're you know they go from the the number two pick to uh, now all of a sudden they're winning a playoff game. They're in a divisional round against Baltimore, and CJ Stroud looks like a all time future, like gonna wreck this league for the next fifteen years. Quarterback uh, Andrew Luck took the Colts from the number one pick to immediately being in the playoffs those first couple years. Peyton Manning, I think it was 2 or 3 years in in Indianapolis, winning right out of the gate. Tom Brady a year into uh, his NFL career, but first year as a starter in the playoffs. So many of those things though. Like there are guys who can step into bad situations and succeed. These guys, specifically this these teams, Chicago, guys, you're going to need somebody to elevate that 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 that, that whole thing. Because Justin Fields has been one of the most prolific running quarterbacks in the NFL in the last two years, and it hasn't really mattered all that much. Because it is a, one, it is it is not a good organization right now. And they have perpetuated losing with more losing because of decisions they've made. Look at Washington. Everybody loves the Dan Quinn hire. Dan Quinn's the adult in the room. I'm not here to bash Dan Quinn. Whoever's that quarterback needs to elevate a a team that just liquidated guys on their roster to get more draft picks like Chase Young and uh, Montez Sweat. Washington, you need a rookie that can step in and isn't going to be able to grow into the position, even New England. I mean, Gerard Mayo's a first-time head coach. You've got a lot of first-time guys on that staff that he hired because he values his guys over experience. Like Alex Van Pelt, first-time calling plays. uh, Sorry. Limited play calling experience, not the first time. You walk into New England, you you, you think that's going to, if you're the third best quarterback in this draft. So there are years where it's like the right team at the right time finds the right quarterback. Kansas City trading up for Pat Mahomes. Right time, right quarterback, right moment. Um, Buffalo, the next year, trading up for Josh Allen, the right quarterback at the right time. Josh Allen was the biggest project in that draft. Turned out to be either the first or best player by a wide mile in that draft. This year, man, Caleb Williams going to Chicago is going to have an uphill climb. This year, um, Drake May going to Washington. That is an uphill climb. But the NFL keeps selling, well, contractual stability and potential matter more than what you've actually seen from a player on the field. Most of the time, though, by the way, like, yeah, would I rather have Caleb Williams or uh, Russell Wilson at thirty-five? Okay, give me Caleb Williams. Hey, you can have um, Jameis Winston on his third attempt as a starter, or Drake May. Give me Drake May. But the Justin Fields thing and and Caleb uh, Justin Fields and Caleb Williams thing just feels. It just is a. I don't. I don't know. There's a win there. 216-474-0092, but I'm glad that Aaron Taylor was like, yeah, it's a, it's a, this is a risky crop of quarterbacks. There's some guys, I mean, they could all be good, but guys, we say that every year. But the NFL is on that you-know-what again of, oh, we got to sell the potential. All right. This, this, this year in totality reminds me of the years where we were selling ourselves on something from the Browns. And I'm not just talking about as a number one pick. I'm talking about like, you know, there were years where they didn't have the number one pick, but they had a number four pick. And it was, you're either going to take Trent Richardson or you're going to take Ryan Tannehill. And then they decided to take Trent Richardson and then trade up for Brandon Whedon. Well, wow, sure, he's the fourth best quarterback, but dot, 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 he's older and he's this and he's that. And he was good at OK State. Um, Even from the veteran side, Russ, Tannehill, I think, I think. The prevailing notion is Kirk Cousins is going to stay in Minnesota, which feels like the right thing. But just overall, man, I'm I'm just relieved that the Browns don't have to try and find a different quarterback. Like the the biggest concern you have a quarterback is what are we going to do a backup quarterback? Like, I'm not thrilled at the idea of Jacoby just because I don't think Jacoby Reset fits this uh, fits this system. You know the word early from the combine is it really seems like it's as close to a, a sure thing that Jacoby could be back in Cleveland. I don't love that because I think you can find a quarterback that fits is more prototypical of what Deshaun has than anybody else. But I mean, if I, if that's my bigger issue, who's the backup and do they do they have a similar skill set to to Deshaun Watson and DTR? I'd I'd take that problem over. I gotta pick between these bunch of goobers as the starting quarterback for your your franchise and your best chance. Cause I think a lot of teams in the the market for a quarterback, they're gonna be looking for another quarterback next year. 216-474-0092. Yes, that means the Browns quarterback situation is uh is more enviable than you realize.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone.